I think that it was sometime in the early 2000s where I was having a conversation with some family about whether or not we as a country should invade Iraq. Our family are in the military and they were remembering other wars that our country had gotten into and some of the good stuff that had come since those wars. And it was because of that that they were advocating for our invasion of Iraq. I'm more on the pacifist scale, and I said that I believed that when we saw the good that came from wars, that has more to do with God's goodness than it has to do with the legitimacy of warfare. It illustrates to me that God can take anything and make something good come from it anything, and can do it so powerfully that we look on the hardship, the pain, the suffering, and actually begin to think that it was good. This is not a new idea to me. It's not even an original idea with me. Perhaps you, like I, have heard people say things that are similar to that. Maybe someone who has gone through cancer You've heard say, I know I have heard say, you know, that was a good thing in my life. I'm a better person, or I have this, or I have that, because I had cancer. Or maybe they've gone through a divorce and can look back and say, you know what, I'm glad that happened, because I'm this way or that way, or I have this knowledge or freedom, and it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone through that divorce. When I hear those illustrations, I believe that speaks to God's ability to transform hell into a way of life, to liberate the bondage that hell is, and to bring people into a new life. That says more to me about the glory of God than about the validity of hell. This is what Jesus is talking about in our gospel lesson this morning. Here we are in the 12th chapter of John. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem from Bethany, where he was having dinner with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If you remember, it's in the 11th chapter of John, the one before this, in which Lazarus is raised from the dead. And if you remember, in the early part of that story, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm glad that Lazarus has died, because this has happened so that you might believe. And then he goes to the grave of Lazarus, and before he calls Lazarus from the tomb, he says it that same point to the crowd that's gathered there. This has happened so that you might believe. Lazarus is called forth from the tomb, unbound, and is alive, so alive that he sits at the table with his sisters and with Jesus in the days before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus has transformed people's lives already, as we find ourselves in today's gospel story. He has already taken people out of the hell in which they live into a new life. And this is why the Greeks even come and say, we want to see Jesus. 
they too have heard about what it is that Jesus has done in their midst. Jesus knows what's about to come. He's seen the social fervor, how people are getting all whipped up about various things, and he's seen that happen before. He knows what the end result is, and he knows the pain and suffering that will be his to bear. The pain and suffering that will be inflicted upon him. He will be in a passive position, allow himself to be in a passive position, to receive the hate and the judgment and the violence that comes at him, letting it play out to its end so that he can allow God's glory to be made known. For only if death is what happens can we fully believe that life is possible as is made known in Christ. So Jesus says to the crowds, what am I supposed to say? Save me from this hour? No, this is what I've come for. So instead, I say, Father, glorify your name. Make your glory known through this. Through this pain and suffering, may people see your glory. That is my prayer. This idea, like I said, is not a new one for me, like it originated with me. It has been one that people who have followed Jesus have known again and again. I think in particular of Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius was from Spain, and it was at the end of the 15th century, in the beginning of the 16th century, that he lived. He was of noble birth, and his future looked bright in the Spanish military. Indeed, he was set on a trajectory for conquest. But it was in a battle early in his adult life that he was injured, so severely that he was laid up for more than a month. And it was during that time that he picked up some things to read, two of which were about the life of Christ and the influence of Christ on those people. Through that experience, Ignatius was completely changed. He saw his life completely differently. And as he came out of his illness to full health, he devoted his whole life to following Christ. He became a priest and a monk, and he developed the order that we now know as the Jesuits. That was what came from Ignatius being laid up for more than a month's time. His prayer practice that he developed just through practice himself is one that we still do today. I referenced it in a sermon I don't even know how long ago called The Examine. All of that because he was hurt and in bed for a month. At about that same time, Teresa of Avila, Avila, Spain, also had an amazing experience of the risen Christ. She, in her young life, what had some serious illness, heart issues, seizures. She had an epileptic fit that left her paralyzed and unconscious for four days. So long did she lay there that they dug her grave. She attributes St. Joseph as the one who led to her healing. And because of that, her whole life changed. The life of privilege that she had been brought up in 
had no meaning for her anymore. She wanted to give her whole life to Christ. She became a Carmelite nun and transformed that community. All of this was in the end of the 1500s and beginning of the 1600s, end of the 1400s and beginning of the 1500s. It was her life as a Carmelite nun that then was reflected upon some 300 years later. Teresa of Avila is the one who gave the words that we have said in worship. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on this earth but yours. She has influenced even our life some 600 years later. But there was one person in particular whose life she influenced in the 1800s, and that's Therese of Lisieux, a French woman. She was the youngest of nine children. Four of her siblings died during infancy. Her mother died when she was just four years old. She fought hard to get into a Carmelite order and was admitted a little after her 15th birthday. And she devoted her life to loving people. It was quite a challenge, as anyone who lives in community knows. Here is a piece that she wrote. Ah, Lord, I know that you don't command the impossible. You know better than I do my weaknesses and imperfection. You know very well that never would I be able to love my sisters as you love them, unless you, oh my Jesus, loved them in me. She took up loving in the little things. She is credited with talking about the little way, just as a little person on this earth, loving people in the little things. She was made a saint 25 years after her death, simply because of her commitment to loving. When I reflect on the lives of these individuals and the various versions of hell that they went through, I am reminded of the glory of God to redeem all things. So powerfully does God do this in Christ that it changes how we see all of the world. It changes how we see our own lives. We even have the freedom to accept whatever happens, whether it be good or bad, because we desire God's glory to be made known through it. Father, glorify your name. That was Jesus' prayer. That can be our prayer. Because when we pray it, we are caught up in the glory of God. We experience the glory of God in our very own lives. Jesus offered us this in accepting his death so that he might show us the resurrection. That God's glory is made known in Jesus' resurrection. That love really does conquer all things. This is what Jesus wanted us to know and wants us to remember so that God's glory can be made known in our own lives. Scott's going to lead the choir in concluding this homily, and then we'll have a time of silence. <laughs> 